Okay, cool. How does this look? You look great. You look great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, oh, gummy bear stuck in my throat. I ate them too fast. Hello and welcome to Nodding Off with Mark and Connor. I'm Connor. This is Mark. In this episode, we're going to be talking about subjective idealism, the role of imagination in reality, and how terrifying all of that is. We should be prepared for people telling us how wrong we are. Oh, totally. I mean, a lot of that. Not everyone's going to agree with this stuff, and I'm sure that there are even things about this that I don't agree with you on. Um, and that's okay i think that's that's kind of part of the whole idea is that this isn't i mean it is sort of a grand unified theory but it's Mm -hmm. not one that compels any particular uh dogma or or understanding like there's not a particular way of thinking about this stuff that's more right than the others i think there are more reductive ways of thinking Mm -hmm. about it and that's that's where people end up getting themselves into trouble metaphysically speaking. They're, they're so tied into one idea of how things work that it, it's going to make it really hard for them to be flexible and try other stuff. We're going to reveal the sneaky trick I have of like, no, yeah, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. You're just happening in a different part of the nosphere than me. <laughs> that is infuriating. Yeah. I think that's like like the, the ultimate agree to disagree mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> line. Which uh, it seems like it would mainly just get you punched in the face. It's a very Robert Anton Wilson thing, though. And oh, definitely. Rowlian, too. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, subjective idealism, I think, is, is probably a good place to, to start talking about Robert Anton Wilson. And I don't know that that's necessarily ever a thing that he, the, that particular phrase is something that he asserted, but I think it's something that's implicit in a lot of his ideas. Oh, yeah, it's totally all over it. Nobody likes subjective idealism. Nobody likes it because it gives so few concrete answers. That's the whole point of it, is that, <laughs> that it, you don't get to have a bunch of concrete answers. But I mm-hmm. think that also is, is the hard part about it, is that it's like, okay, sure, there are no real answers, and we can look at this from as many different angles as we want and never come up with the same idea. But... Mm-hmm you know, how does society function and uh, all, all that stuff. And I, I think that's where people get really upset about it because it's this thing where they want a concrete way that everybody can operate. Like, like how do these ideas drive action and culture as opposed to, I don't know, empathy or, or human universality and, and togetherness. <laughs> Those are very airy, heady things to, to talk and think about. And it's a lot easier to just talk about traffic flow diagrams or the, yeah. like the most physical and mundane and approachable parts of reality as like, well, this is what we're going to deal with now. Mm-hmm. And that I think that that's, we cut ourselves off at the knees if we're avoiding the greater context, if we're avoiding the noosphere uh, or, or we're avoiding spirituality or empathy or human connection in the midst of those considerations of physical being then we're gonna have a hard time well it kind of it changes what it is to be right especially in a capitalist society based on competition what's the point of winning if when i win 
and I beat you, you have also won and beat me at the same time. What is winning now? Especially if you start getting to this transcendent singularity idea where everything is everything, Mm -hmm. it makes it, it makes it very hard to feel like uh, grounded at all, which, which is sort of strange because I guess that's the most grounded anything could possibly be. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh man, we got to talk about back to future. We got to talk about sliders. We got to really fringe. We got to talk about the problems of pop culture, parallel realities. And I, and particularly sliders, I think we can get into how empathy relies on moving between parallel realities. I'm really into this idea of like moving into the reality next door where like, oh, in that reality, I'm a Nazi. And then in the next reality, I'm, I'm this. And in the next reality, I'm that. And you doing the same thing. And eventually we get to realities where, well, in this reality, I'm you. Right. You know, and, 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 and in that reality, you're me. And in this reality, there isn't two of us. We're both the one person. And I think that's where we start to see imagination as this core aspect of of empathy, of understanding other people. This is what subjective idealism is ultimately, is just imagining that there's an experience that's different from yours and being willing to kind of follow that, as Robert Anton Wilson would put it, follow that thought tunnel a little, a little while and, and like try to try to understand the paradigm that they're operating under mm-hmm. because that's, that's how you actually feel something for another person. And I, I think it's really easy to think that empathy is having the same idea about something mm-hmm. or like feeling the same way as someone else. But that doesn't mean that someone else is conforming to what you're feeling. It means that yeah. you are, you are then, even if only temporarily conforming what you are feeling to them. There's also, when we bring in George Berkeley, George Barkley, Barkley. Uh, and honest to gosh, with the label on it, subjective idealism, it becomes scary because there is this implication that, well, imagination's more real than the physical world. In fact, you don't live in the physical world and you never have, and you don't know what it is. <laughs> right. that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. And then well, that's, that's, that's like definitely un, unmoored. <laughs> just shoving you off into that that world and he does it using science's favorite tool empiricism <laughs> <laughs> you know like empiricism says you're not in the physical world yeah according to to, to george a protestant oh which i think is important too it, it, it feels weird to me to say, but like Catholics <laughs> couldn't come up with subject, subjective idealism. It would take a Protestant to think of that. Disagreement is at the core of Protestantism. Like you don't have it <laughs> unless you have someone saying, I don't think that's right. <laughs> well, and I mean, it's in the name. Catholics are universal and we all have to conform to, and I mean, even, even at the, you know, Back in, back in the day when the thinkers, all of the thinkers in our sphere of influence in the West were Catholic, it's only priests that are allowed to do it. And I mean, this goes all the way back to Egypt where, you know, only priests were allowed to write. It's dogmatic versus Gnostic thought. 
most people had to conform to the Catholic universal idea of what things are. And if, if you conform to dogma well enough, then you earn the privilege of Gnostic questioning well. I guess I'm going to tweak this dogma because I've realized this thing about it, but Joe Farmer would never do that. Should we identify more about George Barclay and subjective idealism? Yeah, I guess I, I maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So let's, let's talk about what is subjective idealism. What does that actual term mean um, in a greater context? And I, I think we've, We've talked a lot about what that means to us as individual thinkers, but what does that mean in, yeah, in a broader context? So in my understanding of it, which I'm going to reveal a terrible secret, a lot of this just comes from me reading the Wikipedia and thinking about it. But so George Barclay was saying, um, he was taking that empiricism that we, we can, we, at the, at the base of things, we, we can trust our senses. When, when we experience something through our senses, we know that's true. So he's saying, okay, so how do the senses work? They take something from out there and they create, it, they create an impulse that goes into our brain, which our brain then interprets into our experience of that physical reality. But to bring in Lord Korzybski for a second and uh, his whole his whole deal. Robert M. Wilson and William Burroughs studied general semantics with Lord Korzybski and his whole thing is the menu's not the food. If, if reality is the physical world stimulating your senses, your brain interpreting that into your experience of the physical world, you've got to recognize that that thing that's in your head is not the physical thing that's out there. And Berkeley's whole thing is that other people might be experiencing that in a different way. There's the whole parable of three blind men touching an elephant. Right. One thinks it's a piece of rope because he's touching the tail. One thinks it's a snake because he's touching the trunk. And one thinks it's a tree because he's touching the leg. None of them are right. It's an elephant. Um, and I, th I think that's something that we, we see and think about a lot now uh, or is this idea that either <laughs> we are all living in an objective reality that we can only have a subjective experience of, or there is no objective reality and that our subjective experience is everything. And obviously that you run into solipsism very quickly with that idea, but I don't think that that necessarily means that it's not right. <laughs> well, and, and people would complain to George Barkley about that. You know, like, how do you not get solipsistic with that? And his thing, which is not satisfying to a scientist, is, oh, no, there is an objective reality. It's God. And this creates an, this, this changes the noosphere into this awesome Taurus kind of shape. Oh, oh, and, and fits into, what's that Zen cone thing? The, the circle whose uh, center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere. Like the middle of it, God. The most, uh, the most universal singularity where everything means everything is the only thing that can experience the true physical reality, which is the skin of the noosphere. And we're not in either of those places. We occur in the, in the middle, which physics tells us the same thing, you know, like with with cutting atomism cut trying to find the the smallest thing that can't be cut 
split things down into molecules. Molecules are made up of atoms. Atoms are made up of subatomic particles, but we can't see them and we don't know exactly what they're doing really. And oh God, they're made up of quarks. And I, I love reading about quarks because we can't, we, we can't say anything about them and all the words that we have to describe them are just placeholders, you know? Like at first we're like, oh, they're spinning. Uh, I guess they're not really spinning, but I don't know what they're doing. So we're just going to call it spin and, and they're doing it in different ways, but I can't say what the differences are. And the way they came up with the, the label for the differences is they were driving by Baskin Robbins. So they were like, oh, they're different flavors of quarks. It's all just placeholder stuff because we can't really describe what they're doing. And now we're getting into a crazy thing that only I think because quarks aren't occurring in space and they're not occurring in the noosphere either. That's another whole realm of existence, I think, that I don't even know how to start talking about. And, I, and nobody does. We probably won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If we look back to the first moment uh, of everything, the first thing that happens is gravity. That is the first event that allows us to know the universe exists, but we don't know anything about gravity at all. You know, we can't, we can't find the, the graviton. We don't know how it works at all. We, we can think about its effects and <laughs> which, which are measurable, but we can't. And vital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything depends on it. Right. Since I don't really think scientifically a whole lot, I come from literary <laughs> criticism and philosophy and stuff, thinking about uh, the hermeneutic circle, like, like Gadamer's idea, we're, we're always already in the, the midst of an understanding stuff. So there's no starting point to understanding something. There's just where, where we're at and where we're going. And that's something that happens continuously. So there's not a point of sui generis understanding. There's not a point of beginning anything because we're always already doing it. And that's understanding the entirety of space time is kind of the same deal. It's like how we're, we're only existing within it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. how is it possible for us to even understand its beginning or its end? And that kind of also becomes a, a terrifying assault on the concept of identity, which I feel like Freud touched on this, though I don't know too much about Freud. We're like, oh, so I, I, if my consciousness is just exploring the world around me, but there is no real beginning or end to that, I'm part of a spectrum of, of, of exploring the world around me, then like there is no beginning or end to me. And if you think about it, like, where's your first memory? You can't really say, like, bang, I begin here. It fades in. Yeah. And having touched death, or at least been knocked out, there's no clear end to that either. There's a fade out. Right. And then, and then, if we try to look sideways through time, this is where the, the psychological thing comes into play. You can't draw a circle around who you are necessarily. Like, there's the me that lives in my head, but that's affecting a me that lives in your head, which is in turn affecting the me that lives in my head. So I can't say that, like, 
who I think I am is the sum total of who I am. Definitely yeah. part of who I am is being made up by you and I have no control over it and sometimes don't even know about it. Sometimes I don't even know that someone is thinking about me and creating a part of me. Yeah, we're projectors and screens at, <laughs> at all times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is horrifying. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's awesome. when you get into being like, oh my God, do I not exist? Which right. is something that I have to be afraid of every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think that this is all very closely related to the Noetic Oracular deck, which is, uh, I think, where we're going next. So stay tuned to talk about the nod and what that is and how that captures this state of being um, or non-being or being among others that, <laughs> that we're all finding ourselves in. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Nodding Off. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe and check out the other content on Mercury Theater Television. If you like this, you might like some of the other stuff we do. So give it a, give it a shot and we'll see you next time. Do it. Do liking. Do it. <laughs>